Good morning. It's good to see you all today. I hope you're having a, a good day. All of our campers will be leaving, and I will miss them very much. I don't get to go this year. Uh, I don't know if I'll make it again. John says I will, but I'm not sure. I know there's one thing different about going to camp. He used to make me leave at 1 o'clock. Now he's talking about going at 2.30. I don't know who got under his skin, but he had a change of heart. And that's all right. It's good to change. Uh, I want to talk about uh, deacons today. It's what I got on my mind. Um, we need to appoint some over the next couple of months. And uh, I want to give you some food for thought uh, as we enter into this procedure. Uh, today, though, I want to talk about uh, something else that's in line with this, and that is a deaconess. And uh, what you're going to find on the screen is there's going to be a whole lot of scriptures. Uh, you're not going to be able to run the references uh, because there's too many. But I put all these references on from time to time because I know these uh, sermons go into archives. And as other preachers come up after me, uh, when they run into the same problems we've run into, they'll have something to go to and uh, reference uh, to know how to deal with various problems. And today, unfortunately today, our world's changing very much. Attitudes have changed very much. The culture today is nothing like it was back in the 50s. Uh, it's, a, it's a new world. It's like going to Mars, really. Uh, attitudes are different. Uh, churches of Christ have women elders, women preachers, everything else. Uh, I've had to deal with this particular issue probably six to ten times just since I've been here with preachers who preach for the churches of Christ. Uh, there, there's a lot of people who want to make a shift. This is a shift that cannot be made, but uh, it's something that uh, all leaders are going to have to deal with uh, in the forthcoming future. It, it's going to be a problem. I mean, the Lord tells us time and time again that these problems are coming. So uh, that's the reason I put all these references on there. So when the brethren need them, they can go to it and run the references. So with that said, let's go. Uh, our brother Carol Osborne, he summarized his discussion of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 15 with the following words. Put simply, any female who has sufficient and accurate information may teach that information in a gentle spirit to whomever in whatever situation they may be. Now that sounds okay until you look at exactly what he's saying. She can teach whomever in whatever situation. What does he mean? That women can preach in assemblies such as this when men are present. Uh, this, is, this is a real problem. David Lipson's putting out preachers, uh, Aveline Christian. Uh, there's a lot of what's called church, schools that are supported by churches of Christ that uh, are not putting out the kind of preachers they used to put out. And uh, you're going to find preachers coming through the area from time to time, and they're going to share their wisdom with you. And when they do, uh, you need to know what they're talking about. Brother Osborne, uh, he's gone to the very far left now. Uh, there's not there's nothing about the church that he likes, and um, the, his image of the church is entirely different. They're going to come out with a new Bible, 
uh, I'd say to be within two or three years. And with that new Bible is going to come a new religion. God's religion as it's supposed to be. Uh, and it will make, uh, I think, a, a major wave uh, throughout this country. So we make a decision. Either we want to live by the Bible or not. As for me, it's only the Bible, and there's no more than that. But uh, you're, going to, you're going to hear stuff, and you're going to wonder whether or not what you've been taught is correct. So uh, it's important to do this every so often. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14. This is where all liberal preachers will go to to make their point. Uh, so it's, it's, well, we're going to do it, uh, I hope, next Sunday. We're going to get back into our Bible class, and we'll be covering these chapters in great detail at that time. But for now, uh, I've just got to go through it rather quickly. The discussion of chapters 11 through 14 concerns worship assembly. Time and again, Paul says, when you come together. Okay, so we're talking about in the church assembly is the way things are supposed to be done. When Titus wrote his first, or Paul wrote his first letter to Titus, uh, he, he made the same point in chapter 3 and verse 15, how to behave yourself in the house of God. So you remember the context. We're talking about in the assembly. It's not about the world. It's about the church when it meets. 1 Corinthians 11.3. Look how Paul begins this discussion with women. I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of woman is man, and the head of the Christ is God. Back in chapter, chapter 7, the apostle made a turn in his discussion in the Corinthian letter. He said, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me. Apparently, the Corinthians wrote Paul a series of questions. They didn't know what they were supposed to do. And he goes through and he answers the questions one by one by one by one. Now, as he does, you can pretty much anticipate what the, what the question was by the answer he gives. Now, in chapters 11 through 14, the, 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 the thing that Corinthians weren't sure about is the role of women in the church. There are preachers at Corinth who are more just like Osborne. They teach a, a strange gospel that's not a gospel at all. And the, those who had been taught by Paul, what's going on? So they write him a question, they, they want an answer. So in chapters 11 through 14, he's going to talk about uh, the role of a woman in the church, and he's going to talk about how women are supposed to handle the spiritual gifts they have been given by the Holy Spirit. See, some women have the miraculous ability to prophesy, and some have the ability, God-given, spirit-filled ability, to, uh, to pray in a, in a special way. Now, this was meant to be done in female assemblies, but it's broken over into the congregation. So this is what Paul's talking about as we go forward. But he begins, he begins by letting one and all know what the order of authority actually is. And the head of every man is the Christ. The head of the woman is man. The head of the Christ is God. So the order is God, I mean Christ, man, woman, okay? People don't like it. 
I'm sorry, I didn't make up the rules. God did. It's Christ, man, and woman. And that's it. And we either love the Lord or we do not. So, he starts out wanting them to understand this rule. Uh, Gruben says, head clearly refers not to source but to authority. And that's what he's talking about. Uh, the woman came from the man, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the role of authority. Christ is over the man. The man is over the woman as far as authority is concerned. Uh, it appears Christians' women were removing their veils, their head coverings, stepping forward in the assemblies to exercise spirit-given gifts, prophesying and praying, as I mentioned a moment ago. This was uh, obviously taking place at Corinth at this time. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 4 and 5, 14, or rather 4 and 5, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. Who is his head? His head is the Christ. And every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaven. Who is her head? Her head is man. The, the, the veil that women wore was a sign of subjection, okay? Uh, it was Christ, or let's say God, Christ, and man. This is the way it was with the, I mean, with the Jews, that women wore these veils indicative of their submission to the authority on earth that was over them, that was man. So women wore the veils, the coverings, because they realized males had more authority than they did. Now, men on the other hand, they weren't allowed to wear any kind of headgear. You can't wear a hat or anything else. Why? Because we have no authority on earth over the male. Only Christ, and Christ is in heaven. So when the male comes into assembly, because there's no power on earth more authoritative than Christ and the man who is under Christ, the man cannot wear headgear. The woman must wear headgear. Now, Corinth, what was going on? The females have come out now into the general assembly. They're starting to prophesy before the entire church. Well, as prophets, they are authoritative persons. And apparently they believed that because they were authoritative, that they needed to take the veil off. If they came out and spoke to the congregation with their heads covered, exercising authority over the congregation, their heads should not be covered. Therefore, those who were speaking before the assembly, they removed their headgear. Now, this is what Paul's talking about. You can't remove your headgear in the assembly. This is his point as we proceed. In verse 13, he said, Judge among yourself. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Is that right? Is that right? Is that, is that what you know to be the practice of God's people? Verse uh, chapter 14 and 34, he'll say, Let your women keep silent in the churches. Now, silent means don't utter a syllable. Is that what Paul's talking about? No, no, no. Paul's not talking about that at all. When it comes to the church assembly, the woman can sing. 
okay? We speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So during our worship as we sing to God, the woman sings also because she's singing praises to her maker. And there's nothing wrong with speaking. So what's Paul talking about? He's talking about speaking in the assembly or speaking out in the assembly. This wasn't the thing for the woman to do. It wasn't, it wasn't right. Her head needs to be covered. She needs to be in submission. When a man's up there preaching just because she's a prophet, that doesn't give her a right to say, hey, whoa, 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 I believe you got that wrong, brother so-and-so. This was going on apparently, and Paul's trying to bring it to a halt. Paul refers to creation as proof. He, I'm not going to go through it all, but chapter 11, verses 7 through 9, you've got uh, Adam was created first, and Eve was created from Adam. She's actually the offspring, in a sense, of Adam, being made from the same DNA, that, the rib that came out of his body. It was, uh, it was, a, 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 it was a symbolic of what would be ultimately after Adam and Eve sinned. This was done before the sin, but God knew they were going to sin. He knew what was going to happen. He knew the rules he was going to impose upon humanity. And so he, he made this, uh, this way of creating male and female in this particular order so it would be a sign for us now. And Paul refers to that in verses 7 through 9. In chapter 11 and verse 16, he says, now, if anyone wants to be contentious, if you want to argue about it, he said, listen, we have no such custom. No, none of the churches of Christ have such a custom. You're not supposed to be doing it at Corinth. It's not supposed to be done anywhere. This isn't the practice of our great brotherhood. In chapter 14, Paul speaks of the confusion regarding spiritual gifts. They, they had all kinds of confusion. Corinth was a pagan city in nth degree, and the church was affected by it. They had come out of the pagan environment. They had become Christians. Now they're living with paganism all around them. They're trying to keep the wolf at the door, and they're having a very hard time. And when it came to the spiritual gifts, they did not understand. Mostly it was about, I don't understand why I don't have a spiritual gift. Or why don't I have a better spiritual gift? And they're fussing about it. So Paul addresses that particular problem in chapter 14. In verses 33 and 5, he will say, God is not the author of confusion. This confusion you're experiencing, this isn't of God. This is of yours. You're doing it to yourself. God doesn't confuse. He enlightens. He's not the author of confusion. He's the author of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. All the churches of the saints live by the same rule. No more, no less, nothing else. Now in verse 34, he'll say, let your women keep silent in the churches. Let your women. I got a lot to say about that, but I'm not going to say it here because it takes too much time. But the women at Corinth, they're supposed to be silent. They're not supposed to be preaching and teaching men. They're supposed to be in subjection with their heads covered. Let your women keep silent in the churches. Why, Paul? Because that's the way it is in all the churches of the saints. He'll deal with that shortly. Women are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive as the law says. 
The language is unambiguous. A child could understand this. But whether or not people are willing to accept it, that's what Ronald was talking about this morning. People will not accept what the Lord has said. They want to create something different. If they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in the church. It's a shame that a woman will get before men and speak. It's a shame to her, it's a shame to her husband, and it's a shame to Jesus Christ for a woman to usurp the authority that he vested in the male. <clears throat> he, uh, he then returns to the women's misuse of these spiritual gifts, verses 36 and 7. Did the word of God come originally from you? You people of Corinth, are you the ones that gave the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world? Did it originate at Corinth? Well, they know that wasn't the case. Paul brought the gospel to Corinth. Or was it you only that the gospel reached? Are you the only people that understands what the Bible says, what the will of God is? He's shaming them. He's shaming them badly. If you think yourself to be a prophet or spiritual, if you think you can teach differently than what I teach, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you, these are the commandments of the Lord. Don't pay attention to your preachers. Don't pay attention to your teachers, those who are teaching you these things. Why? Because they're not speaking for the Lord. This is what the Lord wants you to know. This is what I have written. And this is the way you ought to do. Now, deaconess. I want to talk about that just a few moments. In Romans 16 and 1, 1 Timothy 3, 10 and 11, the liberal go these two passages every time. Guarantee it. Every time I've ever dealt with a liberal preacher, we go to these spots. Let's take Romans 16 and 1 first. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Centuria. Servant, that word servant, it's from the Greek diakonos. We translate it various ways. But in this case, uh, Phoebe is referred to not as a deaconess, she's referred to as a servant. The word diaconus, it's a term meaning one who serves or ministers. We get the word deacon from this Greek term diaconus. <clears throat> Common gender is implied. It could be a man or a woman. When you're speaking of uh, someone uh, who diaconus, you're speaking of someone who serves. It might be a man, uh, these, these men serving the Lord's Supper to us. It might be them. They are deacons in a sense when they do that. Why? Because they are serving. They are ministering. Well, the same thing can be true about a woman. You take Tanya, you, you, you take Judy, you take Crystal. They all serve, and they serve in a special capacity. They have re certain responsibilities. Now, according to Osborne, that means they are deaconesses. But I'll show you in a moment that that's not the case at all. <clears throat> this Greek term in the New Testament 
it's used in two senses, and this I'm not doing double speak, so please bear with me. First, it's used as a technical term for a formal office in the church to which one may be appointed by meeting certain qualifications. Uh, we have deacons here. Uh, Ronald's a deacon. Uh, I got to see somebody before I know if they're deacon or not. We got some more back there somewhere, but uh, we have deacons. Uh, they are diaconists deacon. It can also be used in a non-technical term, a, in a generic way, a, a, a common usage, so to speak. You got a technical term, you got the non-technical term. When you're reading this Greek term, diaconus, it can be used either way. It can be used of men, it can be used of women, okay? <clears throat> there are other technical and non-technical terms, so this should come as no surprise. For example, there are apostles, uh, Paul the Apostle and Barnabas is called an apostle in the book of Acts. Well, Barnabas is, or Paul is called an apostle because he was sent by Jesus Christ to preach the gospel. Barnabas is referred to as an apostle because he was sent by the church, the elders of the church at Antioch. The word apostle means one sent by another. So the term apostle can be used in a technical sense, such as Paul, and it can be used in a non-technical sense, such as Barnabas. You got the word elder. Hey, I'm both technical and non-technical. I'm technical in the sense that I am an elder of the church, but I'm also a non-technical elder because, let's uh, face it, I'm getting old, and that makes me an elderly person. So I, it both apply to me. And then the word shepherd, of course, you've got the elder, and then you've got those who keep sheep. Not uncommon. It's not, I'm not playing word games with you. This isn't a word salad. This is uh, the way we speak, the way we talk. And this is the way God speaks to us. He knows us. He knows how we think. He knows how we reason. He knows how to communicate with us. He made us, and he knows all about us. Romans 13 and 4, the civil government is called God's diaconus. In Romans 15 and 8, Christ is said to be a diaconus of the Jews. In 2 Corinthians 3 and 6, Paul is a diaconus of the new covenant. And in 6 and 4, he's a diaconus of God. In 1 Corinthians 3 and 5, Apollos is listed with Paul as a diaconus. Was, was Christ a deacon? No, he wasn't a deacon. He was a servant, but not a deacon. The way, the way civil government is speaking, is it a deacon of the church? Not at all. The civil government is the minister of God. Okay? Diaconus can be translated in different ways. You got servant, you got minister, and our English word deacon. Okay? And the word deacon, as generally has been applied, has to do with men who are appointed to serve the church in a special capacity. <clears throat> now, Colossians 1.23, the gospel which you heard, of which I, Paul, became a minister, diaconus, it could say of which I became deacon, in chapter 1, verse 25, the church of which I became a diaconus, according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. In both of these instances, of course, the word is minister. Just like I, on the last uh, page, the last screen, uh, everybody involved was either a, a minister or a servant. That's the way the word was being used in a non-technical, generic sense. 
In 1 Timothy 3, verses 10 and 11, uh, this is uh, where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, in the liberal argument. Let those also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. This is those who serve in a technical capacity. And then it goes on to say, likewise, their wives. And there's the problem right there. Uh, Gune is the root word, and Gune has both a technical and a non-technical uh, usage, just like many other words do. It can mean a wife, it can mean a female or a woman. So we read this passage here, uh, likewise their wives must be reverent. What does Paul mean? Is he speaking of a, a, a wife? Is he speaking of a female? Is, is, it, is it to be the word woman? Which word is to be used? Now here's where the liberal wears his head. The word there, you notice the word there on the screen is italicized. That means it's not in the Bible. It's not in the Greek Bible. Translators, they added that word in order to make the, the passage make more sense to us. And that's why they italicize it, so that we'll know it's not in the original uh, manuscripts. It's, they did that to help us, to be an aid to us. And so many times they are an aid. So since the word there doesn't belong there, let's take it out. Now, we start thinking about this word, wives. Well, what did Paul have on his mind? What's he thinking of? Now, Osborne would say, well, it's the deaconesses. He's talking about the deacons, and now here in verse 11, he starts talking about the deaconesses. Really, is it reasonable? Is it sound argumentation? Let's think about it. This word is used, as I said a moment ago, in 1 Timothy in both senses. It's used as female, chapter 2, 9 through 12, and verse 14. It's used as wife in chapter 3, verse 2, verse 12, chapter 5, verse 9. So it's used in at least three ways in Timothy. So we have to understand, how can we know? How can we tell? I, I harp on this all the time. And before I die, I'm going to have this burned into your brain. Context, context, context. Always pay attention to the context. It makes the difference between right and wrong, truth and a lie. And you want to understand the context. Number one, a woman can't be the husband of one wife. That's the qualification of a deacon. And if the deacon and the deacon is the same, then the deaconess's qualification would have to be the same. Number two, in speaking of male deacons in verses 8 through 11, would Paul switch in the midst of his discussion to make mention of female deacons just out of the clear blue sky? in a single verse without clarifying what he's doing. Verse 11, likewise their wives must be reverent, not slanderous, temperate, faithful in all things. Or actually likewise wives. So in verses eight, nine, and 10, he's talking about males. And suddenly in verse 11, he talks about the female. And then in verses 12 and 13, he goes back to finishing up what he was talking about when it came to males. Now look at the layout. Is that the way a reasonable person would write? Is that logical? Is it sound argumentation? Does it make any sense? And it makes no sense at all to me. Third, referring to the wives of these church officers, 
was proper since family conduct is a qualifying concern. If a man's going to be appointed a deacon, his wife must be a godly woman. <clears throat> so likewise, their wives have to be godly. Fourth, oh, I just did that. I messed it up. Fourth can mean that wives are to have similar virtues as the deacons without applying. They share the same responsibility. Just because the wife must be godly to enable the man to be eligible to be a deacon doesn't mean she shares the same responsibilities. She's of the same character, but not the same responsibilities. She's got very important responsibilities of her own. Fifth, lack of the possessive genitive uh, of, of, of deacons, the article that comes before, of deacons, their wives, because the possessive genitive isn't used in this statement, doesn't mean that Paul was speaking about females in general. And it's not used in the possessive genitive sense in any cases where men and women are being described as what wives and husbands in the following passages. Colossians 3, Ephesians 5, 1 Corinthians 7, Matthew 18, and Mark chapter 10, verse 2. It's, you don't have the possessive genitive in those cases. It's not common writing during that particular time. Then people spoke a different language. They thought differently than we think. They understood differently than we think. They had a culture very, very different from our own culture. And sometimes we have to get into the minds of the former culture in order to understand exactly what was being said. It's not hard to do, but their writings and things like that sometimes a little different than the way we write. But it's a common usage of these terms not to have the possessive gen uh, genitive involved. Scripture silent on an order of deaconesses. I have a hard time saying that word. It's not something I say very often. Uh, the, the Bible says nothing at all about it, okay? Uh, according to Jack Lewis, a full-blown church order of deaconesses does not appear until the 4th or 5th centuries. You know what was surfacing around the 4th and 5th centuries? What would be in about 100 years, the Roman Catholic Church. As the Roman Catholic, oh, very quickly. The, the Roman civil authority was dying out. And as the civil authority was dying out, the Roman church was getting strong. The Roman church was taking the place, in a way, of the Roman civil authority. It wouldn't be long before the Roman Catholic Church pretty much controlled the world. The kings would come and kiss the toe of Papa because he ruled over the kingdom. So you're coming up at a time where, let's say Christendom, for lack of a better term, was evolving and the Roman church would come out of it all. And with the Roman church would come many differences. One of the differences being would, um, would be the, uh, the role of women in the church. Notice what Lewis says the responsibilities of the women would be, the deaconesses. Their responsibilities consisted keeping the doors, aiding in female baptisms, and doing other work with women. Anything wrong with that? I don't see anything wrong with that. We got women to do that all the time. If a woman's going to be baptized, some of our women jump up and go back there and help her. Does that make them deaconesses? 
Or does that make them ministering saints or servants to what will shortly be their brother or sister? You see? It doesn't make a deaconess. There's no evidence in Bible that makes a deaconess only the imaginations of men who want to appease feminism. That's all that's there, folks. Even if women were deacons, the word, of course, diaconus, servant or minister. But even if they were deacons in the New Testament church, they would not have functioned in any sort of leadership or authority position over men. How do I know that? Listen to God's rule. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence when it comes to speaking to the assembly. If it's an assembly of females, may the woman speak? Yes, absolutely. But if a man's in the audience, then she's not allowed to speak any longer. This was the rule that God gave. You, uh, I got to get some other lessons on this for you guys. Uh, I will in the in time to come. Adam, wife, her Adam was first formed in Eve. That's what he referred to also in Corinthians. Adam was formed first, and Eve was created from Adam. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived, she fell into a transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing. Childbearing is a synecdoche. Uh, it's an ugly word, and it, what it means is a part stands for a whole. She will be saved in childbearing. She will be saved uh, if she's, you know, if it's possible. If, when she bears children, uh, rears children, uh, is faithful to a husband, guides the home, do various works that the Lord orders females to do. Okay? She will be saved in childbearing, in doing the role of woman in the world in the eyes of God. If they continue in faith, love, holiness, with self-control. The Apostle Paul spoke with the elders at Ephesus. I relate to this very much. Uh, I worry, I don't worry, but I, I'm concerned about the future. How long will I serve as an elder? Uh, will I have to uh, step down because of health conditions? Uh, will I drop over dead? Who knows? I don't know. But I know that whatever my mouth is silenced, uh, my brethren are going to have to uh, take over. And I, I, I want them to be as prepared as I can humanly help them to be. Paul said, I know that. I know this is going to happen. I know it. Did he know it by direct inspiration? I don't know. He didn't have to because it's something that's as plain as the nose on your face when you have the spiritual possession that Paul had. I know I can say today the very same thing. I know. I know what's coming. I know what's coming. I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet, but I know what's coming. Paul said, after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, and they will not spare God's flock. These are people coming in from the outside. What are they going to do? They're going to do whatever they can to draw the flock away from God. They're in the drawing, they're in the stealing sheep business, if you will. Paul said, I know this is going to happen, brethren. I know it, and I want you to be on guard. 
because it's going to happen, and it will happen here, just like it happens everywhere else. you got to catch it at the door and keep it on the outside. Also, from among yourselves, some will rise up. There will be those of our own number who will rise up and introduce strange things to our ears. This is going to happen, he said. I know it's going to happen. You've got to be on your toes. They will speak perverse things, twisting the scriptures. Everything has to do with twisting the scriptures. To draw away the disciples after themselves. When that new Bible comes out, there's going to be a lot of problems. When that new religion rears its head, there's going to be a lot of problems. It'll come. It'll come. Therefore, he said, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. I can repeat the words of Paul verbatim except for one little phrase. I would have to say, therefore, watch and remember that for 33 years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. It's important to make sure the church is pure, as pure as we can make it. It'll never be perfect. We all know it'll never be perfect. But we have to guard. We have to guard and make sure that the Word of God is not twisted in this place. You get on the Internet, you're going to hear strange things. You're going to see strange practices, very foreign, very different from what we do here. And it's going to look religious, it's going to look holy, and it's going to look wonderful. As you listen to the music, you'll be sitting at the house and your foot will be tapping the ground. Because, man, that music just stirs your jungle appetite. It looks so good. And it's oh so wrong. If the Lord wanted us to worship with mechanical music, he would have said so. But instead, he told us by implication that we are not to. We'll talk about that in the day to come. Today, I wanted to show you that deaconesses are not in God's plan. And we should keep that in mind. God willing, next Sunday, we'll talk about deacons. Uh, this lesson just kind of popped up in my head yesterday. So, if you're not a Christian, uh, and if you can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and if you are moved in your soul to please him and walk with him. You need to repent of your sins. Confess him as Christ before other people. Be immersed in water for forgiveness of sins, according to Colossians 2 and verse 12. As Christians, sometimes we get slothful or lazy. I've done it several times. When we do, we need to repent and get back get back in the fight because the fight shall continue we need to learn we need to be on our toes we need to be understanding what we claim to believe without faith I don't know without faith I don't think we can stand the tests that come our way because we're too afraid of what other people think. It's not about being mean. 
about loving the Lord Jesus. And if that's what he wants me to do, that's what I'm going to do. I don't care what John Mayberry says. I'm going to listen to the Lord Jesus because he's my hero.